welcome to the Please Be Seated podcast. Today I'm joined with Deborah Green. Hi. Um, so could you tell our audience a bit about yourself? Yes, I'm Deborah. I'm from Manchester and I am the founding director of a charity called Redeeming Our Communities. I'm also um, part of the um, team who run um, Ivy Church Manchester. Myself and my husband were senior pastors there for 17 years and now we're members of the congregation. Uh, but my main role is is directing and leading um, a national charity called ROC, R-O-C, Redeeming Our Communities. Um, so when was it that you started with ROC? It, 2004, so in September uh, this year we'll be 15 years old. Um, very much started off the back of um, gathering people to pray for the city of Manchester over a seven-year period I led a inter-church prayer movement with 200 different churches of different denominations and streams praying for things like education, law and order, health, business, media. As part of that process of praying, we um, got into a partnership with Greater Manchester Police, um, which also led us into partnership with other police forces, fire services and public services around the UK. So we launched ROC to say how can we work together across a city with different agencies including the church to um, bring about community transformation. Okay um, so what has ROC led to how has it expanded over the past 15 years? Well it all starts with a conversation and I think that's a key thing the key thing is people of goodwill working together towards safer kind of communities but it's the working together piece so we bring people different um agencies together to discuss what's going on in the community where are the gaps and what religions can we create and as a result of that we um create an action group in we've got action groups all across the uk now looking at how do we respond to what people have said in those community engagement um events and it's things like elderly isolation, looking at befriending schemes, looking at youth cafes, looking at restorative justice. We do a, a really good mentoring scheme. Um, so it's ways of um, responding to the needs by training volunteers and equipping the church. Today you've decided to discuss Greatest Showman on this show, um, which I think is the most recent film we've had on here. So. Um, what were your first experiences with that film? Well, I'm, I'm quite pleased that I watched the film on my own because it's not really the kind of film that my husband would really be into. It. A, it's a musical. Also, it's one of those um, you need a hanky moment, don't you? It's quite emotional for somebody like myself. I found myself spending a lot of the time in tears as I was watching it, so I was quite pleased that I was on my own. But I, I, I love musicals anyway, and I think some of the um, lyrics are just incredible. It's one of those things where you go to bed at night and the lyrics are running round and round in your head. Um, I think I love the storyline. I love the casting. I love the emotion of it. And I suppose some of the messages that it carries is about having a dream and having a vision and believing in that and believing that in yourself, despite all the odds stacked against you. So some of the characters in the film are 
people who are kind of less able or even disabled or you know on the margins of society here being included and people believing in them and people um just just going for it and believing that they're different and i just i just love that about the film um it was one of those films which i'd assumed over the past year that because my family had been watching it um a couple of times and we showed it in our um, rock cinema that I had seen it all properly but there was so much which I hadn't seen I'm like it wasn't something which I was particularly interested in watching and it wouldn't have been something I'd chosen to watch at all but yesterday I got a lot more interest in it than I thought I would have done when I what what did you what did you like what did you like about it Luke um well, it's because I went I went into it with sort of the principle of I'm not going to really enjoy it. I'm going to have some strong yeah. things to say about it. But there there was a lot more story and de- character development than I thought, and some of the yes. some of the cinematography was really well done as well. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. In fact, I went to Easter. I took to or just before Easter, I took to my grandchildren to see Dumbo, the new Dumbo film. I don't know if you've seen it, and it reminded me a little bit of the theme of the greatest showman it's they i think that they've created a similar genre with the new dumbo film so i'd recommend people thought it was just going to be my grandkids in it and i would be just texting on my mobile phone but i got really engrossed in that as well there's a moment where the the circus marquee goes up in flames and there's a rescue scene um so yeah i really I think some of the lyrics in Greatest Showman of some of the tracks that they really appeal to the emotions of, of what people are going through in today's society. I think it just strikes a chord and it's the kind of film that you would normally think would be a female film, if that makes sense. That yeah, yeah. Sort of a girly kind of film, but actually... I know grown guys that are watching it and crying and getting really moved and touched by it as well. Um, I when I sort of had first seen little bits about it and caught little glimpses of it, I'd assumed it was some sort of you know Oscar bait empowerment stuff, but there <laughs> genuinely was like some you know entertainment out of it that wasn't just because I always feel like there are those films which show empowerment and major themes and stuff as a way of going like people have to like this, you know. Yes. Uh, and so I, I I thought it would be like that, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. Like I'm not except I wouldn't say I'm a musicals fan, but some of my favourite films are musicals. If that oh, works. So. <laughs> I think you are. It's either you love it or you hate it, isn't it? Yeah. You watch it, and if it, it because like you say, it's not just a musical. It has got a very strong storyline, and in the end, um. You know, it has a good ending, doesn't it? It has it has a happy ending, as it were. I think yeah, I think we all like a happy ending to our films, and it's um, yeah, it's something that I think every age group, every age can watch it as well. Um, so I'll go vaguely chronologically through the film through the notes I've got. Um, I didn't make note of actually the names of the songs as they come up. I just went with the story. So we've got. Um, we see them briefly older with the opening song and then we have a transition to a young Phineas and him and Charity sing A Million Dreams which is definitely one yes. which when the film came out was sort of everywhere um, yes 
Yeah, I, I, I can't tire of that song, A Million Dreams. And I think I think it speaks to the dream, the dreamer in all of us. We've all got dreams. We've all um, we've all got things that we want to do in life, things that are perhaps a bit beyond our reach. Because um, a dream is something which is possibly beyond where we are now. It's, it speaks a little bit of the future and it speaks of our future potential. So the, the idea of young people having dreams, I just love that. And the fact that they, they are then attained to some of their dreams is one of the good parts of the story. Do you think <laughs> there has been sort of a rise in musicals recently? Like, I, I feel like a lot of the popular films are either musicals or music-based. Like, you know, last year yeah. you had Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again and Bohemian Rhapsody and now you've yeah. got, like, Mary Poppins and... Yeah, I do. I do. I think, I think we're really, as a society, I think we're really moved by music and I think... We, we can take in the lyrics of a song and repeat the lyrics of a song where we might not repeat the lyrics of a script or as, a, as in a spoken script. So I think, and a song has the ability to stay in your head, like that Million Dreams song was in my head for about six months, I'm telling you, and I couldn't get it out of my head in the end. I'm thinking I'm actually hearing this a little bit too much, but... So, yeah, I think Million Dreams is an iconic song that will live with us for a lot. But I, I agree with you. I think I think the whole thing of um, of, of uh, musicals and is, is, is really on the rise. And I think we'll probably see a lot more films to that effect. Um, like, I feel one thing we don't have very present is comedy musicals, which there, there were bits of, but the... The most recent one I can think of, I mean, there must be more since then, but the most recent, like, mainstream one I can think of is The Producers. But I feel I like that. that. I haven't seen that. I think you, I think that's a really good point. I think they would probably really go down well, but I don't know who who all the script writers are right now who are churning out this stuff, mm. but um, I think... I think it would be very popular. I mean, Sweeney Todd is sort of a comedy, um, but... Yes, yeah. Um, so then we've got that after Phineas and Charity sing their song, Charity goes away and they write letters to each other for supposedly a long period of time. Yeah. See, this is where the romance comes in. And I think as as I had it down as a very romantic film, was my assumption then was that it would be a bit more of a girl flick, you know, rather than a, a guy's thing. But I think the romance is... Um, very moving because there's a lot of um, pain. There's a lot of pain in the lives of these characters. The fact that they're separated, the fact that they come from really different social backgrounds, and then obviously he's going to struggle now to persuade her family that he's a suitable partner for her, and that she chooses him above all of that. I think that is fantastic. And in terms of like. The romance as a film fan like i love a hitchcock or a tarantino as much as the next man but i i will always like my preference is always richard curtis rom-coms i don't know why <laughs> but i mean my oh. my favorite film of all time that you ever seen it is about time which is 
haven't uh, I'll watch it then in, in memory of you <laughs> it, it, it's incredible it's Donald Gleeson and Rachel McAdams and it's this guy who finds out that all the men in his family have the ability to travel back in time so he uses it to try and like win the girl of his dreams and his dad's played by Bill Nye playing like a really likeable character oh, for yeah, a change Bill Nye's great, isn't great. Mm. yeah I love Bill Nye um, yeah I'll watch that because that's another romantic film apparently <laughs> I, I don't know how I got into Richard Curtis. Probably through like Blackadder or Mr Bean, and then suddenly I discovered yeah. like, that I actually do so quite you, enjoy. You're, you're, you like your comedy, don't you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Although there's, I'm trying to think whether we've. I don't think comedy's the prime genre we've had discussed on the show though, because it no. doesn't seem to be common among the other guests. No, it's not my favourite genre, and my husband probably would pick it if we were going to the cinema. Oh, have you have you seen Fisherman's Friend? I haven't. I don't think I've even heard of that one. Honestly, it's a new, it's a new film based on a true story of where um the the there's set in Cornwall where the um uh, there's a top sort of music producer from London goes down to Cornwall and hears these fishermen singing and it ends up getting into the charts. Based on a true story, it's comedy, but with some very poignant moments as well. I think I'd, we went to the cinema to see that. And I chose that for my husband because he likes comedy more than I do. And I ended up loving that film. Yeah, I really recommend that. I, I actually, surprisingly, for a film fan, I really, really rarely go to the cinema. I think it's because of the prices, mostly. I just well, It's, it it's ridiculous. Out. It cost us about £30 just for me and him to go to the cinema. It was ridiculous price, but it was like a treat, so I took him on a... I chose that for him, and I ended up really enjoying that film. I'd really recommend that. I must tell you a funny story while you're on uh, about um, Pete, Pete Gregg, who was the, one of the main speakers at Spring Harvest this year, doing the Bible reading. He's written a book um, called House Prey. He's written several books. And he was saying that he was on a Skype call to... America but he thought it was just audio and he found out afterwards that he was visual as well and the funny thing was that he wasn't aware of it and he was scratching himself and pulling funny faces at his kids and just generally larking about and at the end of the call everybody could see what he was doing because he's only just picking up the audio rather than the vision so you've got to be very careful what you do when you're on some of these calls. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of my guests in the past haven't known completely that they've been on video, or other calls I've done on other shows, I've had like people and it's like, I don't know if they know they're on call or on video. Or... <laughs> you find out more about people and what they're doing behind the camera. <laughs> Straight after that, um, we sort of flash forward over the course of a song to adult Phineas and Charity getting married and they have two kids and Phineas gets fired and obviously it's quite a lot of exposition but it is told quite well through song quite quickly yes and clearly <laughs> yeah yeah this is where challenges start to emerge you kind of feel that they've got the breakthrough now they've managed to get married against all the odds they're starting to do well and then all of a sudden things get more complicated and there's there's now kind of a fight as to how they're going to make their dreams work and i think that is very true to reality i think in reality 
we have dreams, but we have to fight for our dreams. And sometimes our dreams hit rock bottom and we have to somehow find another way through. I think that the film brings that out quite well. One thing that interests me is the fact that I think there's only been two musical films that Hugh Jackman's done, isn't there? This and Les Mis. Yeah, that's right. And he's Where, so good. He's so yeah. good at them, isn't he? I, mean, I know he's done some on make... stage, but it surprises me that he hasn't done more. Yeah, he, do, he is. I think I don't know whether it's his favourite thing, whether it's something he gets cast in. Whoever made that casting decision made a very good decision, and they've got the casting exactly right, I think. And um, I was watching at Spring Harvest again, I was watching a recording, I'll see if I can get hold of it, of a rehearsal for this film, Greatest Showman, of one of the tracks. And the rehearsal itself, they're all, the actors are all sat in this room recording the song in their own um, clothes and everything, like they're not dressed up in part or anything. And it's just a really moving piece um, showing the amount of empathy they have for each other and on the on the pet in the cast and how powerful it is this clip. I'm actually if I can try and send you that. It's just in one of the rehearsals. Like I think I will always see Hugh Jackman as Jean Valjean because um my sister Grace is obsessed with Lamers. Um she's kept count and she only discovered the film like a year ago but she has now seen it over, uh, thirty times I think now so Fantastic yeah. film. Yeah, it's very hard because this role is so different from the Les Mis role and that Hugh Jackman is playing and it's poles apart from it. And I think Les Mis is going to be one of the most iconic films ever produced. Yeah. Um, And so it's a hard act to follow, really. And I think Greatest Showman is a completely different genre and... He plays it equally well, but I know what you mean. I think that one probably wins the day. Um, I suppose the the good thing is I don't think Russell Crowe's done any musicals since Les Mis, which I suppose is good on all of us. <laughs> um, um, so Phineas makes a present for his daughter's birthday. I have junk from his briefcase. Yeah, that's so sweet, that. I think we, we forget what poverty is all about. You know, we don't we we forget the the pain of of what people have to face in this life and the fact that he's able to do that and trying to bring something out of nothing as it were shows how powerful the relationships are it shows how much he loves his kids and wants to give them a better start in life than he had it. A lot of the stuff that we buy is just junk anyway, really, isn't it? We spend a lot of yeah. money on toys that kids don't end up playing with and end up broken and end, or end up lost. And you just love the fact that really we don't need material things to make one another happy. We need quality time. I'm glancing to the right at my 445 films and just... <laughs> yes. We don't need, <laughs> but that—that's your hobby in a way. Hmm. So I think that's a bit, a little bit different. Yeah, I feel. I suppose it isn't. Yeah, I suppose considering I do this show and I want to get into directing, that I can sort of call it research. It's research, and it's part of your interest, and it's helping other people. There seems to be a current trend at the moment with, as opposed to newer musicals coming out, unlike this one, um, you have. Uh, so many films are just being adapted into musicals and do you think that's a, a worthwhile trend or do you think it's cash cow 
I just think it depends actually on who the producer is and the the songwriting, the quality of it. And I just think with um, Greatest Showman, there's a number of tracks in there which have caught the attention of, uh, caught the imagination of people and they're being reproduced by popular pop artists, um, James Arthur, for example, has just produced one of the songs from Greatest Showman, and I think it just shows how memorable these tracks are. So I think it just depends on the quality of what they do with the film. Do you think it's almost the the vagueness of the lyrics as well, and how they don't, how they almost don't specifically fit the exact situation of the film, but also could be used into other situations that sort of draws more people in than if you had a a film that relied on like characters' names and very specific situations. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think you could have a million dreams, for example, just come on the radio and it would work anyway without the film behind it, um, arguably, because we all have dreams and we all have aspirations and I think it speaks to the future of our lives and the dreams that we're carrying and whether we can make those into a reality, which... Of course, they do that in the film, but it's against all the odds in some cases. They have to fight against all kinds of social conditions which would say they're not going to achieve their dream, but they do. And I think that's part of the thing that appeals to us. I think with um, Les Mis, like the same point with like the vague, vagueness of the lyrics is... If you tune on the radio and you were to hear any song from Les Mis, it'd be I Dreamed a Dream or Bring Him Home. You'd never tune on the radio and hear, like, The Confrontation or, you know, one of the no. more dialogue-heavy pieces because it's it sort of doesn't resonate to an audience that's not familiar yeah, with it already. Yeah, that's right. So something like Bring Him Home is iconic and to appeal to everybody because we've all got people that we're separate from. You know, that we've, we've either lost a loved one or, or we've got a loved one who's in danger or we're separate from, separated from in some ways. Like, for example, I've got a son who's in Australia and I'll have to sing that song, Bring Him Home, because I would like to get him to come home at some point. I have conversations about that when I'm on Skype calls with my son. But, yeah, I think it's a song that, appeals and I think that's what The Greatest Showman's done really well it's got things in the, in the film and songs which appeal to us all and so we um, see Phineas making a present for his daughter's birthday after he's fired from his job and it it sort of shows how he's got they've got to very quickly make money in order to keep their family um, well and sort of he he, I think he correctly sort of doesn't hide their money situation from his children, but also makes sure that they're still getting the best they can, which I think is like an automatic way of making sure that we like this character so early on. Yeah, I, I think we assume that love is communicated by the gifts that we buy one another sometimes, um, rather than the quality time that we spend we feel guilty as parents or providers that we can't give our kids the um, branded, you know, trainers or whatever, clothing, and that 
reflects on the amount of love we have. But of course, for a child, it's not like that at all. For a child, it's very much um, the, the love that they feel is not communicated by material things. And I think he understands that well, and that, that's dealt with well in the film. Um, and then Phineas op- decides to open a museum of wonders, um, which sort of that 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 sort of happens quite quickly, and it's it's quite incredible how I think the one issue we've got here, which same with Lame is, is that you don't we don't have enough time to see so many of these moments where we're flashing forward and in between, where you've got probably you know enough to make a film out of all these little elements as well. But yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think that this is one of the things that a lot of people love about the film. It's where it's championing the, the marginalised, as it were, or the people that are a bit unusual, the people that maybe some people might call a bit odd. And all of a sudden, here are these people now in the film and believing in themselves and being pushed forward on stage. And I think that's the other thing we love because I think we like, to see people who are downtrodden or the the odd ones um, being given a chance. I don't know. That's something definitely within me. I just thought I, I've just been watching the film Dumbo, the new film Dumbo, with my grandkids, thinking that I probably wouldn't like it that much and love that. And very very similar in some aspects to The Greatest Showman in the sense that the the people in the service are on and out the ones that have not been given a chance, the ones who are in the world's eyes a little bit odd. Um, but you find yourself loving them in the film, like you do in The Greatest Showman as well. And then we see um, that Phineas can't sell tickets straight away, and so he decides to put out an advertisement asking for unique people and put together a team. Like I, I, I think it's very important, the word unique that he uses as well, that you know, there is. He's not saying there's anything wrong or anything about him. It's just, you know, special. So he's not using the word disabled. He's not using the word odd. He's using the word yeah. unique. I think that's a really good point. And and the and in many ways, as a, as a as a Christian myself, and I know you are too, and some of the people listening to this may well be people of faith. I think it has got quite a strong spiritual spirituality about it which is also one of the things that appealed to me because the, the God in the God and Jesus of the Bible are on the side of the poor and the marginalised and um, people are unique or in, made in his image and there's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God so I think it appeals to me at a spiritual level as well and I think the lack of hierarchy among people is sort of a present theme where you've got with Phineas and Charity and you've got with Kyle and Wheeler um, and it's sort of yeah. definitely a present theme where it's not just people who are, who look unique it's people of you know different classes and different areas and it's yeah. sort of all about equality yeah and in the Dumbo film and just so that you watch it you can see some of the similarities and differences there's a sense there that they're using odd people, if you like, or unique people to try and make money, to make people laugh, to look down on people. In The Greatest Showman, I think um, there are an element of which 
people want to make money out of that, but very much the main character characters don't look at those people in that kind of way. It's almost like they don't see their difference. They see them as definitely equal and value them as equal. And I, I really love that about this film. Um, and then we see uh, the circus, well, not the cir- called the circus at the time, but you see it becoming really successful, but you still see a lot of people who, throughout the film, are sort of haters to it and don't like the idea of the equality, which I think is still present now in the in the media, really, people who don't like seeing certain minorities getting their rights or positions in society. Yeah, you're right, you can see a real mixture today. You see hate crime and racism at an all-time high. You know, we've just celebrated the first Steve Lawrence uh, Day yeah, um, recently and in memory of that young man who was the victim of a racial attack where he lost his life a number of years ago and there's still a lot of bitterness and hatred towards people with a different coloured skin or ethnicity or a different social class as you say or just something different about the way that they look and I think there is a divided opinion on that there is definitely a mixed reaction to those points of difference and I think what this film is doing though is giving us it's showing the ones that react badly in a bad light and the ones that react well in a good light, if that makes sense. Um, and I think, sort of, on top of that, you're not... When the the unique people are put up for entertainment, they're not put up for entertainment as, look look at these people, look at how weird they look. They're, they're put up there to show yeah. and express their own talents. Yeah, it's like, talent is talent, isn't it? I mean, the bearded lady... Uh, for example, has got this most phenomenal voice. And it's not like, if she was on The Voice, the TV show, I don't know whether you ever watch it, the, the brilliant thing is, the four judges on The Voice uh, have got their back to the performer, so they can't see what, what they look like. And the, the reasoning behind that is that you make a judgment based on what somebody looks like. Whereas this judgment is just being made purely on their voice and they press the buzzer if they like the sound of the voice. And I think with the greatest showman, the baby lady's got this most amazing voice. And she's being called out for her voice rather than for not being given the opportunity of what she looks like. Yeah, and I think that that is sort of present, I suppose, even in the, you know, even in the songs, when you're hearing the songs on the radio and how present they are, you don't know, you know, the the context and who's singing it either. A critic called Mr. Bennett hates the fact that a lot of the show is could be considered fake. And um, yeah, I, I'm surprised that that doesn't really reoccur as a as a theme or criticism throughout the rest of it. It seems like quite an odd interaction, really. But no, I don't know. I mean, I suppose that yeah. I agree with you. I don't think that really comes out majorly in the rest of the film, but that's that is bound to be the reaction of some people. Some people will always, you know, not like something that we love. But they take a comment from him and decide to call it a circus. 
Mm-hmm. And it's very shortly after that that Phineas and Charity spot Carlisle and invite him to join as a partner. And I think it's a yeah. great musical number, the Persuasion there. And it's sort of good to see Zac Efron returning back to musicals after, like, High School Musical. And I don't know if there was anything else he did other than High School Musicals, but... Um, I know he made a big sort of jump in recent years from like the kids' movies to the like the crude late night comedies like Bad Neighbors and things that he's sort of returning back to the family friendly musical roots. Good choice on his part, I would say. Mm. I think he's got a much bigger audience. I think something like The Greatest Showman. I don't know what the box office figures are, but I reckon it's got to be the biggest film 2018. I was going to say, yeah, like, th- this has been so present, and I, you know, some of the other films he did in between, like, you know, the the Bad Neighbours or or the Baywatch film, you didn't actually really hear much about when they came out, they're not, so I think it's, I think it's sort of return. Well, I, I, think... I mean, I think one of the things to pick out here is that with so much bad news that we've got going on in the Western world with these tragic things that are happening around us and with the with the uncertainty over the big B word Brexit, which everyone's better than talking about, I just think we need films that make us smile, make us feel good and make us like appeal to our humanity really, appeal yeah. to the best sense of our humanity and that that is what it did for me and in some ways it's a bit of entertainment you could argue, but it's probably the kind of entertainment that we need in the UK right now with all the stuff that's going on. Game political now, Luke. <laughs> I'm quite surprised with um, Zac Efron that he didn't try to take the John Travolta route of going from the sort of mm. family-friendly comedies and musicals to like you know drama and action, and that he sort of has always stuck with comedy, as far as I'm aware. Hello, it's Luke from the future here. It appears that at the time of recording, I sort of forgot about the Ted Bundy movie that Zac Efron did. Um, So, I mean, if we forget that, my point's probably around about right. Anyway, we'll get back to the discussion. Mm. Until Mm. this, which isn't exactly comedy, but it's a lighter film than... But it's got comic... It's definitely got comic comic moments, hasn't it? I think... I quite like the films that are out at the moment that have got comic moments and very uh, moments where you just you're almost weeping one minute and crying the next minute i i'm a bit perverse that way i like those kind of films (laughs) i want something to make me laugh and i want something to make me cry preferably in the same hour um and then oh i've gone a bit ahead um carlisle joins as a partner slash apprentice and he falls in love almost instantly with Anne Wheeler, one of the members of the circus. Yeah. And we you see, always... here we're getting two love we're getting two love stories for the price of one, really, aren't we? In this film, at least two love stories. Um, and then very quickly um, after Carlisle joins, he ends up taking it a lot more mainstream, and you have Queen Victoria inviting Barnum and his circus to Buckingham Palace. Mm. Um, yeah, that was quite an interesting scene, kind of a scene that I wasn't really expecting, um, no. where the combination of 
gifts, if you like, in the main characters there. Um, one has got a real business head and is able to see how they can get more traction for what they're trying to do. And I, I just thought that was quite an interesting sign. And good to just see the, the royal family being brought in there. And considering that they're American as well, it was, I think, a lot more unexpected that, you know, it was the Queen Victoria and not, like, you know, uh, anyone in charge of America at the time. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, um, and I think the theme, the theme has continued in the royal family, hasn't it, with the, with the relationship with America this year, this last year. Um, and I think I quite... Um, I like some of the little bits with Queen Victoria, you know, like the, the comment on her height and the presence of her dog. And there were, you know, things which I, I assume through this and, you know, ITV's Victoria are true about her. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I agree. I think um, there's, there's some unusual things in the film that you weren't expecting. And I think I always like that, that it's not completely predictable that there's some things there that, like you say, with the royal family suddenly being introduced, that's quite an interesting um, angle. Um, and then he, Phineas, meets and sort of falls for Jenny Lind and offers her a big yeah. American show. And she takes the offer quite quickly, actually, considering she's never met him. I know there is a comment about mm-hmm. that. Well, I- I mean, people, yeah, looking for an opportunity to for fame and and wealth, and I think that brings the film brings that out quite well. And you, then you start to wonder again whether he's going to remember his first love and whether that. I think I would have quite a lot to say on this because I think fame and wealth do bring with it. Um, a appeals to the sometimes the fallen nature within us to be away from home and to be attracted to somebody else and to risk losing the very thing which has brought us so much joy. And you can see when he's standing at the side of the stage when she's singing and his wife is in the audience, you can see the tug of war that's going on in his heart. I think it brings that out really well. And you, you're beginning to wonder which way, which way is he going to choose because she's now become so attractive to him or is, or is she attracted to what he can do for her? And you're asking yourself all those kind of questions. And his, his wife is thinking, is, it, is this now the time that I'm going to lose him? I think it brings that out really, really well. I think the one issue with the film, which is either a, a deliberate decision or something which I, I, I'm just not so sure on and that is how likeable they make Phineas that it's quite weird when you're following him through this almost mistake with trying to mm. you know get in a relationship mm. and have an affair with Jenny Lind um, yeah. which I think is quite a different side of things really that it's you can see how sort of naturally it happens almost that it's not just yeah. that he's you know He's he's an evil guy who you just see off you know off camera and spoken about how he had an affair. You sort of see 
how he ends up getting himself unknowingly into this situation and how he really has to make a decision and you know whether it's the right one or not really well we don't we don't like him at that point of the movie and even people who maybe have even been through family breakdown themselves you still don't like him at that point in the movie but it's a bit like the bible you don't like bits in the bible but the bible still tells you the bits that you don't like so what it's showing us really is the fallenness of humanity and that we're all capable of making decisions that hurt other people and we do it all the time and i think it's letting you see that it's letting you see that this is a choice that every day you have a choice and our choices affect other people and I like the fact that we don't like him at that point but I like the fact that the film still includes that in because I think that is true to life and I think it's very much sort of about the draw to want more all the time and how you know he's already yeah, made a successful definitely. circus but he wants to have a successful tour and he wants to make it bigger and grand and that, that draw can be great and wonderful at some points but it can also be addictive patterns yeah see see exactly so sometimes we forget the roots that we've come from which is what's led to the success in the first place which is things like coming having having a a loving family and things like giving people who are unique as you say a chance things like putting other people first that, that brought you the success, as it were, then forgetting those roots and going after more and going after other things, which ends up losing you what you could have had. You know, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Yeah. So actually, I think it brings out really big, strong spiritual themes, this film. Even though it's not a biblical film, as it were, it brings out those themes. And thankfully, it's got a happy ending. And thankfully, he sees that this relationship with Jenny Lind is not going to be um, not right for him. As beautiful as she is, as stunning as she is, and the voice that she has, and he's getting carried away with all of that. Now he's realising, actually, no, I, I need to go back to my roots. And I'm glad that sort of Jenny realises the you know immorality of it as well. And sort of the yeah. the draw, as we were saying before, to wanting more and more, is that a pattern that you've noticed in people through rock, that people are drawn to the addiction of wanting more? I think it's it definitely it's a human pattern. It's um, we all want more, we all want... We, we, the media drives it to some extent. The media kind of only reflects all in this of our nature, but... The media tells us we need more, we need to look a particular way, we need to have so much wealth, we need to have so many possessions, we need to be successful, we need to be ambitious. And we we go for those things. But um, within rock, I see a big division in the UK around uh, the contrast, as we said earlier about the social classes. I see a lot of poverty and I see a lot of wealth. I see a lot of wealthy people doing good things with their wealth. I'm not against wealth at all. I mean, we need wealthy people and we need business people to do business to support the economy and everything else. But it's when we make bad choices with our wealth and when we make bad choices around our country. Um, And then, just after this, um, 
the show happens for Jenny and people love her and the show. Um, but Phineas seems to be getting further and further away from his circus troupe. Um, yeah. And he won't let them attend the after party for her show. Yeah, so again, he's fallen nature. Now he's a bit embarrassed about them. Whereas before he was overlooking the points of difference and he almost genuinely didn't even see the point of difference. He saw the uniqueness and saw the talent. Now he's a bit embarrassed because he's moved into a place of mixing with people who he thinks that they're going to notice the differences. And so he wants to kind of keep them... Cut. He wants to cut the people out of his life who have been there for him up until this point. Yeah, like both them and his wife and kids, really, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then they have to fight for their equality sort of against him now and allow him to see them how you know how he has been all along and we have the song this is me which you know i think has been yeah. one of the most amazing. present songs yeah it's amazing i think it's like not this is me in a selfish way which there is this whole look at me 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 thing going on in the in the Western world at the moment, but this is about, this is me, this is who I am, this is who I've made to be, and I'm not ashamed about it, and I'm not embarrassed about it, and I'm not going to apologise about it. And when I was at Spring Harvest this last week, um, we saw a fantastic film clip of the rehearsal of the song, This Is Me, um, just with the characters getting ready to produce the song, but they're not dressed in character, they're just the actors. And the, the rehearsal is so fantastic, and um, they're singing "This Is Me," and it, it shows you the progression of from the start of the song, where they're almost afraid to really believe it, right through to fully saying, "Yeah, this is me. I'm just going to go for it now." And I love, I love that song so much. I, I think "This Is Me" is the main one that's being used for like primary school choirs and stuff as the. You know, the song that yeah. they seem to enjoy. I've definitely seen it around some local schools. Definitely. Here. That's great. Um, and uh, Finney starts to tour America with Jenny, but risks a lot of money for the museum and her tour in doing so. And yeah. then um, Carlisle and Wheeler come to see Jenny's show, where Carlisle's dad ends up offending Wheeler. Um which we want to see sort of the discrimination against the mixing classes. Mm. Yeah, that runs throughout, doesn't it? Um, it calls out discrimination because what I like about the film, again, is because although it includes that theme, it's very much kind of making you feel uncomfortable with it. It makes you... It's almost seeing what's wrong with humanity, Um you feel uncomfortable with that discrimination, and the sense of discrimination you feel you want to boo at that point. Um, do you think that this discrimination is still present, or do you think there's an awful lot less of it now in terms of social classes and society? It, it's a mixture. In some ways, it's just as prevalent as ever it was, but I think we're more educated about it because we've seen a lot of documentaries and campaigns about calling out discrimination 
making us realise that we are very, very prejudiced. We say we have no prejudice, we're fooling ourselves, because if somebody walks into the room completely different from us, we're so shocked by it, we notice the difference, we notice their hair, we know my, one of my granddaughters is um, mixed race. She's got afro hair. And a lot of girls with afro hair or boys with afro hair really struggle with their hair and try and get it mixed made straight. And you think, why are you struggling with your hair? You've got afro hair. That's amazing. And it's because yeah. it's a point of difference and because of people's reactions. So there's still a lot of racism. There's still a lot of discrimination towards people of um, a different social class that haven't got the same. I think children can be quite cruel because they would make fun of you for having a certain name or you're wearing spectacles or or you're, you know, you haven't got the, the Nike trainers or whatever. So I, I think it's still around discrimination. But I think we're more aware of it because of social media and because of um, education. I mean, like, a while ago I made a sort of comedy sketch short film thing, um, sort of a satirical thing about rights for gingers and sort of a sort of, you know, even though there's not, you know, really much discrimination present, I sort of took that to the next level and I'm still yeah. doing little bits and Easter eggs and other films about it, but that that seemed to resonate with people quite a lot as as it's yeah. one that people seem to find entertaining and I think it's because they can see that discrimination with other groups is present that seeing it sort of yeah. poked fun at is sort of works yeah I mean we kind of have to poke fun at, at ourselves don't we because I think we poke fun at ourselves and it's not necessarily a bad thing I think but you're right I think there is still discrimination there but it's how we handle it I mean I've had to deal with a lot of discrimination towards women, women in leadership in the church, women in leadership in society. There's still, it's not as much as prevalent as it was, but there's still a lot of discrimination around women. Um, but I don't like, I kind of poke fun at myself a little bit about it. I don't take myself too seriously. And I don't want to depress people by constantly harkering on about it. So, yeah. And possibly a, a, a controversial um, topic, because I think it was Ricky Gervais who said that he believes that true equality would be the right to make fun of anyone and anything. Would you, you know, agree with that? That that equality would be, you know, for everyone to have jokes made about them and for there not to be offence? Not really, because I think that some people are very, very wounded. Like if I could have a bit of banter with you now, Luke, about your ginger hair, since you since you named it for yourself and since you're not kind of upset about that in any way I think we can do that and you could sort of have a go at me about my age or my, my um, uh, feminine you know that I'm a woman or whatever I think we can do that as people that mutually respect one another but I think if I was wounded in an area which many people are and somebody then poked fun at I don't think that's acceptable do you think quite yeah. Do you think it's different when you've got like you know Ricky Gervais that people you know pay to see him and know what they're getting into, and so they don't really have the authority to be offended when they've made the you know the decision to see that in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that's fair enough. 
Yeah, if you've gone to his show, you know what he's going to do, and I don't mind it. I've been on, I've been on in places where there's been a stand-up comic that's called somebody out of the audience and mercilessly kind of bantered with them and said all the same. If that was me, I would be personally fine with that. I'm just saying as, as, as a general statement, I don't think we can do that with all people yet. If I've gone yeah. to the show, then it's fine. We've asked for it kind of thing. And we don't, shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. But there are a lot of wounded people who it would only take one more comment that would push them over the edge. And sadly... One in four people at least have got mental health issues, serious anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. So yeah, that, we don't want to say things in a way that would just affect them so badly. But, I mean, talking on Ricky Gervais, I've just been watching the film, at the, or the Netflix show Afterlife, and I would really mm. recommend that. I think that's got yeah. a lot of really interesting themes in it. And Frank and I have watched that and have found it, really interesting. I know he calls himself a atheist, but actually I think that's got some very powerful spiritual themes in that show, The Afterlife. And it's actually, I find it really surprising with Ricky Gervais, sort of the difference between the character he puts on and then when you see like interviews with him. You know, actually yeah. the, character, the, the way he acts where he's very strong about his views and beliefs or actually I've seen chat show interviews where he's just had like a friendly discussion about like faith and beliefs and stuff and it's quite Yeah. There are definitely yeah, two sides. Quite interesting. Yeah, he's, he's got two sides, and he's, he he may have been very hurt. I'm sure we all have been very hurt, and it causes you to form opinions about God and who God is. But just to make a show like The Afterlife, he must have had some very interesting moments making that show. And one thing which I sort of admire is the last point I was saying about comedy, is you know whatever the individual's opinion is on it. When, um, back in the late 70s when Monty Python went under such controversy for Life of Brian, it was straight mm. after when they were making Meaning of Life that they decided, right, we don't want anyone to feel targeted, so we will make fun of everyone equally in our next film, which I sort of sort of admire as a decision, even though I don't think it's you know a particularly right move to make. No. Well, The Life of Brian, what did you think of it? Um, I personally don't mind it. Like, I don't like the crucifixion jokes and stuff, but I feel like it's more the concept people are offended by than the film in itself. Mm. See, I don't mind it. We we would watch that and we would laugh at it. Because uh, I don't think that's picking on any one particular person. That's sort of... To me, the gospel is bigger than anything that we can say about it. So... Yeah. We can we can laugh and have fun about faith because that's like a big corporate thing rather than picking on an individual person who's weak. I mean, you can pick on Jesus Christ is the least weak person that we can pick on. Yeah. So he's like, it's not going to affect his self-esteem. It's not going to affect his divinity. It's not going to affect his uh, authority. It's like totally. He totally can't be affected by that. So I'm, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I think it's when we uh, look down on people who, if we believe in all people equal, I think it's when we look down on people who could be really affected by our behaviour in a negative way. Yeah. 
back onto this film. Um, Carlisle sings Rewrite the Stars to try and win Wheeler back. And um, Phineas's family don't like how much time he's spending away. Yeah. Well, Rewrite the Stars is, is like one of my favourite songs in the whole film. I love the backdrop to it with the um, uh, the acting ones. Because acrobatics, I can't think of the word. You know, she's on swinging from rope. What's it called? Gymnastic, acrobatic. Mm. I love the backdrop to it. Um, I love the romance of it. And I love the possibility of it because it's saying uh, we're coming from different backgrounds again and we're not destined. This is the word destined. Uh, if there's a concept being destined, we're not destined to be together. And one of them says they are and the other one says they're not. And you know, of course, they end up together. So you're like, okay, so it's possible people that are not destined together to be together yay i love it and then we sort of go towards the another one of the romance stories straight after when barnum continues to fall for jenny but she sort of declines his advances um and then um jenny kisses barnum right after he says he's going home and i sort of like how that comes back um later on as sort of a scandal and because I think that's exactly what the... I mean, I don't know how much of this is, you know, directly from the story of Barnum and how much of it is fictitious, but I think it works yeah. as an extra piece of drama that, you know, well, really he I can't think... hide from it. I think it works. I think it shows us grace because, you know, we make mistakes in life. Fear was mistakes, but in the end, he does the right thing, you know, and... He goes back to his family, which for me is the right thing. And the fact that it's in the public eye as well, is it sort of he can't escape from it, he can't hide from it, he has to sort of owe up to what he's done in order to move on. It's a scandal, isn't it? And, and I think there are times where I think people have been so afraid about what they've done in a private place that they don't think it's ever going to be made publicly known. If it is going to be made publicly known, it's must be a really frightening thing because you know that everybody's going to know this thing and is, is he even going to be forgiven it brings out theme of forgiveness uh, it brings out you know themes about grace so yeah I think it's quite a powerful piece um, and then the circus gets set on fire and Phineas mm. goes in to save Carlisle and succeeds that does remind me of Les Mis. That's the one point where it, it's very much like Valjean saving Marius and going in. Um, yeah. But I think the rest of it is completely different. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's a strong moment of when he's risking his life to go and, and rescue somebody. I like, I like that very much. It's almost like maybe... I would risk losing my life for this because I've made so many mistakes. Um, I've got to do something heroic now to prove... Um, I've got to do something heroic to prove that I'm worthy, if you, if you like. I think there's some of that going on in that scene. And then next, Jenny quits her tour and her kiss with Phineas becomes a scandal, which leads to Charity mm. leaving Phineas... Mm. And 
Um, I think that's always a really common part. Like, we've got a romantic story here. I, I feel like most romance films have it that the, their relationship's going really well, and then there's something that gets in the way and stops them that you have to... Um, you know, there's, there's always the dispute or the argument, which is, you know, either bigger or smaller each time, but yeah. it's definitely one of the main conventions, enough for this to be, yeah. you know, romance is one of its genres, I think. Yeah, no, I think, again, you've got the, um, the relationship is on a rocky footing at the beginning because of the sex, the social class differences, then there's their physical separation, then their marriage, then then risking losing everything, and then there's this affair or potential affair, and then uh, then they're, they're now separate again. So it's almost like, still, are we going to see this relationship work? Are we, are we still going to see it? Are we going to get a happy ending or not? And in real life, often we don't get a happy ending because we don't forgive one another and we don't work these things out and relationships do break down and families do break down and I think there's always the potential for that to happen yeah definitely um the one issue I have with this is is very how how quickly this gets fixed how how quick how quickly it is between her you know leaving him and then literally like two minutes later they're they've resolved it and come back together well what, in all fairness they were sort mean? of time <laughs> So it's, do, you mean, do you mean you wanted him to suffer a bit more, Luke? <laughs> I, I, I just feel like it's it's a significant piece of drama that could have taken longer part of yeah. the film. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think in real life it would have taken longer. And uh, I think you're running out of time now in the film, so we've got to get on with it quickly. But they do love each other at the end of the day. I think the love is so strong, it's pulling them back together. Um, um, and so... But yeah, I agree with you. Then Carlisle helps Phineas to bring the circus back, but this time in a tent, mm. as long as he owns 50% of the show. Um, mm. And then Barnum... No. Oh, sorry. And then Barnum realises the importance of family and passes on almost the baton of being the showman over to Carlisle so he can spend more time. Yeah. I think that is a wise thing to do. It's always interesting to know when you should pass the baton on to the next generation or somebody else rather than keeping a hold of it yourself and not realising that other people have been raised up around you that have got more capacity at that particular stage of life. I think that's definitely an important uh, part of it. So now we have a, a segment on the show um, called Film Retitling. Is there an, an alternate name which you could, an alternate title for the film that you would give it if you had to? Oh gosh, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. Um... We could have the greatest love story. <laughs> That's very bloody. <laughs> or oh, love wins everything. Love wins. I like the phrase love wins. Um, I think it brings out work-life balance, which we haven't talked about. I think he realises that he's given everything to his ambition 
but actually he's not given as much to his relationship with his wife. And a lot of men and women of ambition struggle with that. So love wins. I don't know, the greatest love story. I'll probably stick with the greatest showman, but then it's got the greatest showman. It's got the word man in it. Might have not that. It's got a lot of female characters that might deserve. The bearded lady. Um, I think one like interesting point in it is the fact that it it sort of does show the difficulty in relationships. It's not the the soppy yeah. rom com. Everything goes fine. It it, it shows that it, they do require work and commitment, and it's you know a two sided thing. Yeah, and you can't neglect your relationship with your teen partner or your parents or your siblings just to go after something else and then find out that you've neglected the key relationships in your life. But we do it. We, we do give our all to our ambitions sometimes and neglect our relationships. And I think the film brings that out. There are consequences to that. And I think the film brings that out really well. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about Rock before we conclude? Yes, so we are in our 15th year. We are 195 projects around the UK. And how it works is that we have some models that we've developed, like the Rock Cafe, like Rock Mentors, like Rock Gardens, like Rock Cinema. And we partner with a local church who will pick up that model and run it in their own area under that under their own banner and rock name. We are, what we want to do is to make rock familiar so that when people are in their community, they see a rock project and they think, oh, I can get involved with that. And it, it becomes good news for people. And I think all it is really is a tool to uh, bring to community transformation, make communities kind of safer places. Um, probably the last year we've had our best year really since we first started because we've probably become more well known to people and we've probably uh, developed our models to a point where we can start to replicate them. Hmm. And how did your um, OBE come about? When, at what point in the stages of rock did that happen? So that was, 20, that was 2012, so it was about like five years, six years ago now that I got my, oh actually seven years ago that I got my OBE and it was for services to community transformation or services to community cohesion, which is um, how do we make a society cohesive? How do we stick all the bits together and make it make it that it starts to work? Um, so, so it's about halfway along my journey of rock that I got my OBE, and I think that opened up a lot of other doors for us. Another big landmark was when we got the Fuse, which is our headquarters, a five million pound building that we were given on a rent-free lease, which we've been in for four years now. And then in the last couple of years, I think we've been working with the Home Office and a few other kind of quite key organisations that have taken it to a bit of another level. Um, so we hope the next next season is going to be fruitful as well. And the Fuse is like an incredible space. I think I've been there once or twice and been meaning to 
come down again at some point because it's it's just remarkable seeing how much work you can really do in one building. Yeah, it's given us um, opportunities for a place where we can train people as well, where we can do community activities, where we can sort of learn how things are done. And it's given us a lot more credibility that we've got a place of this size and substance. Um, and then um, another big opportunity has been that I've um, just this last few weeks my new book Mountain Moving Prayer has been published and we were launching it at Spring Harvest um, big festival that happens at Butlins every Easter um, and Mountain Moving Prayer really tells a story about roots of rock which is very much about prayer and how we can move mountains of yeah, discrimination, poverty health issues, finance issues, family relational issues and the things we've been talking about how we can pray to move those mountains and how we believe in a God who wants to redeem communities. So that's the source of what rock is all about, really. Um, when was it that Matt Movement Prayer was released? Because I'm pretty sure we saw it in a bookstore like before it was its official launch, which confused a bit. But Well, it came out the first week of March 2019. Um, in fact, I saw somebody had received a copy on social media before I'd actually got my copy. So I was like, what have we found a book and I haven't got it myself. So it was literally the first week of March it came out. So it's only been out for six weeks. And um, it's been been really doing well. Um, so have you got, you've got you obviously your book, are there any other future projects you can plug on the show? Well, Rock, Gardens has just been pioneered in um, Blackpool and that's a project where we train um, people, young, mainly young male unemployed or unemployable uh, guys to learn gardening skills and then we train them up as gardeners and we do the before and after. Like somebody's garden is overgrown, they can't do manage their own garden, maybe they're elderly. We send a team in, they they renovate the garden and they get to learn those skills and eight out of ten of those are unemployed people become employed so it's quite a good news oh, story wow. really we're just ready to roll that out across the UK now get it packaged up and modelled um, obviously you need to be interested in gardening it wouldn't, wouldn't be any good putting me in there because the garden would look worse after I'd worked on it <laughs> I'm hopeless at gardening but there's some people that are interested in that. Um, yeah, we just we're just praying and hoping that this next. I think mentoring is our main key project that we want to invest in, where we're training up people as community mentors, youth mentors, or family mentors, and we're hoping that churches will partner with us so that we can train up 15 of their members to become mentors and mentor people on a referral basis from the council or from the housing associations that's quite a good project we've just launched that in westminster and we're really excited about that and where can people find you on social media so we've got a website rock.uk.com that's r-o-c not r-o-c-k and we've got we are rock which is our twitter handle and um, we are r-o-c uh, we've got Instagram, which is We Are Rock UK, and we've got um, 
redeeming our communities on Facebook. So we quite do quite a lot on social media. And for our listeners, they can find this show on Twitter, if you excuse the pun, at Please Be Tweeted. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Please Be Seated, and you can find me on YouTube with Bottle A Productions or on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero. Um, and thanks so much for Brilliant. coming on the show. Um, I really hope this recording was just so Please Be Seated is a Luke Allen podcast. For more podcasts, appearances and short films, visit lukeallen.co.uk.